got to church and pulled out the hymnal, and lo and behold, they're all just almost right in a row in the hymnal, and they're all in the same key. So, <laughs> so however, I am going to vary the keys a little bit so that we don't get wall-eyed singing the same old key. Um, if you would, and uh, what, what I'd like to sing tonight is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and Be Thou My Vision. Um, ushers, I don't know who you are, but if you would come forward on the, uh, the second verse of Be Thou My Vision. All right? Now, some of these things change keys and all that. You're going to see, oh, it goes to another page, another key. We're not going to do all that, okay, unless, unless the Spirit impresses as we go. So if you would, stand with me and open to hymn number 98, please.
like to sing the first and second verses of this one and ushers if you will come forward after the second or on the second verse God, we are thankful for your presence, your leadership, your Holy Spirit, the fact that we are never alone. You love us that much. Thank you for this time and for this opportunity to worship you. Lord, as we bring our offerings, our tithes to you, Father, I would ask that you would do as you will with them. We love you. We want to hear a word from you. These things I pray in your name. Amen.
Thank you, Miss Gail. We have a video here from Brazil, and Ben and I know these uh, these two young missionaries here. This is a, we're getting ready for our live Christmas season. Brazilians are so loud. <laughs> they're loving, they're kind, and they are always laughing. They're touchy-feely people. They're very busy. If they're not at work or at school, they're stuck in traffic. That's Brazilians for me. They're just so incredible, but human in the end. They just have such a hard time trusting anything that comes after something you say about Jesus. They already have this idea, this false idea of who he is, and there's nothing about Jesus that is life-giving to them. Então, você não deve fazer isso e aquilo, e se você faz isso, Deus, Deus não vai te amar. E isso me afastou muito de frequentar as igrejas e, e de Deus. That's hard. It's hard to continue day after day when, um, sorry, Lord, why, why am I here when these people that, like, you've let me love, like, you are not what they want. And there have been plenty of days until today that I just want to give up, but I just keep reminding myself that the power of salvation is not in my hands, and it's all in Jesus, and He is so capable and so able of changing their hearts, because He has changed mine. E aí teve um dia que eu tava me sentindo um pouco triste e eu lembrei da Amanda. E eu decidi mandar uma mensagem para ela. He ended up sending me a text one day and said, I'm upset, I'm not necessarily enjoying the way that my life's going and I want to change. And in that moment, I just put it all out there and said, I'm doing about 500 things with my church today. If you'd like to come along, you're welcome to any of it. And she was like, absolutely. I was so surprised, but she said, absolutely, let's go. With Amanda, the Brazilian Amanda, she actually asked me to study the word with her. And just last week when we were reading, she was like brought to tears that God would love her even though she, she has come to the realization that she is a sinner, that she is separated from God. But the truth that he loves her when all she has known is that She's a sinner, God judges her. She was like, there's no other God who says this. Ainda não sinto total confiança nisso, mas eu estou buscando e... What love that he has demonstrated to her. Like this city is huge, this world is huge, and he cares about the separation of one of his creation. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably not video worthy, but that's crazy. I'm sorry. So the greatest thing ever happened last night. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend Amanda chose to put her faith in Jesus. I know that it's so real. And I know that the Holy Spirit is moving in her. And it's just amazing to see Amanda in the purest form and just understanding what she has won in Christ and the victory that he has won for her. But now comes like the most exciting part of of her knowing relationship with God and God is going to use her to bring others to know him and to, I mean she has a redemption story, she has a from death to life story. This is a reality that God is saving people and he is pursuing young adults in Sao Paulo and he is not giving up.
Back in March of this year, Ben Bill and I, we went to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and that's, um, uh, we were there in March of this year. That's in South America. It's actually the, I think it's the largest city in all of the Western Hemisphere. Like 27, it's huge cities. Most folks, when they think of Brazil, they can think of Rio de Janeiro, but Sao Paulo is actually the largest city, massive city there. And, um, and it's really in uh, central, the southern Brazil. And um, those are two missionaries we met. Those are what we call IMB journeymen. <clears throat> Rob, you've got me, if I start raising my voice, I'll just blast everybody. You've got me really loud tonight. So y'all might, Vane might want to turn me down a little bit. Or, um, <laughs> so, because I can't raise a voice if I'm that low or that high. But what, what it was is those two young ladies there, Brandy and Amanda, we met them. They're what we call IMB journeymen. And IMB journeyman is when you graduate from college and you get your bachelor's degree and you're a Southern Baptist, you can sign up and it's, you have to apply. It's fully paid for. You can spend two years in an overseas uh, area working with our current IMB missionaries. And the, both those young ladies there are journeymen, or journeywomen, I guess. And they are there um, in Brazil and they work along uh, some, I, or some of the IMB missionaries that Ben and I were, were, were staying there with um, dear, uh, earlier this year. And what's exciting about that is this, that's the getting ready for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Last year, our church, we participated in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And last year, we raised just over $20,000. That's a generous offering. Every penny of that offering goes to support Southern Baptist missionaries. Brazil is a massive mission field. I'll explain why. It's massive because there's a lot of folks there. There's huge cities in Brazil. That's the most popular uh, of all Latin American countries. It's the most populated by far. So where all the people were, there's just a huge gospel need. So it's exciting to see uh, these two IMB journeymen leading people to the Lord right there in Sao Paulo that we were just, uh, our church youth, uh, we're a part of earlier uh, this year with that. So I wanted, uh, wanted to show that video, getting ready for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering with that. Um, I'll give you an update. Next Sunday is our annual Thanksgiving dinner. It's at 6 o'clock. So if you show up in the worship center next Sunday, everyone's going to be downstairs. So everyone needs to come. Last year, I think, darling, we had, we counted like 230 people Great event, a lot of folks came, a lot of food because you brought the food. Um, Darlene cooks turkey, so uh, we, uh, it's at 6 o'clock. And uh, Kevin Dye was uh, telling me this morning, we need to get word out. If, you're, if you want to show up at 4 and start taking down the walls there in the fellowship hall and start pulling out tables, they will be here all, everybody who wants to work, you can show up at 4 o'clock and start setting up for the event next Sunday. So that is, uh, that's next Sunday's um, uh, Sunday evening service here. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. You also, some of you might need to run back to the uh, Welcome Center back there. You need to pull out your bulletin, or if you brought it from this morning, you always need a bulletin because there's a Sunday night bulletin insert Five locks on every narrow door. I want you to follow along here, uh, so you'll definitely want that. You want to see here, um, we are living in the largest communication shift in 500 years. I want to explain why. 500 years ago, we got the printing press, and we printed, printed, printed. You get your Bibles. That's really how Protestantism exploded, because uh, back six, five, 600 years ago, a lot of folks couldn't read. So the only way you learned your Bible was you would go to the Roman Catholic Church and the priest read it to you in Latin. <coughs> now the crazy thing about that is <laughs> not a lot of folks knew Latin. So if you spoke English or French or German and here you are listening in church to a priest reading the scriptures in Latin, you just didn't know what the Bible said. So the really the only way... That's why if you go into old churches, especially in Europe, you'll see these murals and these great paintings all over the wall and up in the ceiling, and there's pictures everywhere. Well, that's storytelling, because when you have an illiterate uh, society, how are you sharing the gospel, and they're learning Bible stories, and how are you presenting to children 
that can't read, you show them pictures all the time. So folks would paint pictures from the Bible and put them all over the place. So that's why, what happened. Well, then came along the printing press, and that's really how Protestantism, that helped fuel it because all of a sudden people started reading. And then they started reading in English. That's why the King James Bible is so important in 1611 because that's a mass, that was the first real mass-produced English Bible that, uh, that really went out with all the, uh, all the folks. So then folks are reading their Bible and think, wait a minute. I go to church and they're saying this, and I read my Bible and it says this. Something's not lining up here. So that's when you start seeing <coughs> these, uh, uh, the Reformation that occurred. Well, we're now in a new Reformation. It's not quite as far along as the one there. This, the new Reformation is a digital Reformation. That might not be with our Sunday night crowd here. And I don't even have my phone. I, it's downstairs with the children. There is a generation coming up. They're not learning. They learn to read. But the, the books, everything is digital. Everything. They're getting their news on social media. That all their games are on iPads and tablets. The way they talk to people, this is a true story. I went to Zach's, you know, he had 35 children, 35 teenagers at the lock-in. It wasn't this past weekend, it was the weekend before, just running wild all through church. <laughs> not really, but they're having a great time here. I was there, and I'm not going to say who these two girls were. <clears throat> you know, I'm walking around trying to talk. I was just there. I can't stay up all night, so I, I'll just stay two hours. And there, there was these two girls in the corner. They're middle schoolers. And I walked up to them. I said, girls, are y'all talking to your boyfriends? Yeah, um, because yeah, I, don't, I don't know. They're, they were texting. That's who that they were. One was here in a chair, another, and they're both on their phones. I mean, children, that's all it is. That's what they're doing. So I so, said, girls, are you talking to your boyfriends? And they started laughing. I said, no, we're talking to each other. <laughs> Let me understand what happened. That is literally, if I'm sitting in this chair, and Sherry Osmond's sitting in this chair, and I'm sitting there texting Sherry right next to me, they're not even talking. They're, ta they're talking through text, sitting next to each other. Those are girls, they're texting each other. Like that's, and that's normal. Like, that's normal. Why would you open your mouth and talk to someone when you can send them a text? Like, we laugh at that. that I laughed when they told me that, but that is the norm. That there is a digital reformation. The way folks communicate is digitally. That's why our church has to be on social media. That's why our church has to be out there because if you're not, you've, you're, you've, the whole world's blown right back. That's why we have Facebook Live playing right now so the folks at home and all over the world, if they want to, they can watch because that's where the world is. And it's a shift that's occurring right now. Started with a printing press, now it's moving to these phones. 95% of all phones are now smartphones. So the days of flip phones and old-timey phones and the days of landlines are gone. I said, we still, I like a landline, we still use ours, but that's everything is wireless, smartphone, digital. That's a massive shift in communication with that. I share that because... We're about to see a passage here. Even though the world is changing, what we're about to read right here, it does not change. Jesus is the narrow door. No matter how we communicate, if we're using a printing press, if we're using a newspaper, we're using a cell phone. Jesus, the narrow door, is the only way to salvation. And it, it doesn't change. Now the world completely has changed around us, but the simple plan of salvation has never moved an inch. So that's what we're going to be studying. So that's why you want to follow along in your bulletin insert there, the five locks on every narrow door. Luke chapter 13, verse 18. The Bible says here, this is Jesus speaking, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. 
okay, this, these are the two parables Jesus just told. The first parable, he's describing heaven. He's just not describing heaven, he's describing the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is the gospel. It's the mission that God is advancing in the world. <coughs> now, I actually have some, a little bag of mustard seeds in my office. Mustard seeds during Bible times were considered the smallest seed during ancient times. Now, we know today we have found seeds even smaller than mustard seeds, but during Israel, 2,000 years ago, the mustard seed was the tiniest seed. So what Jesus is saying is this tiny little seed, you're going to plant in the ground, and it's going to grow and have incredible branches. That Even the birds of the air, all sorts, it will supply and help everyone around it. And what he's saying is the kingdom of God has small beginnings, but it will spread throughout the world, just like the branches go, go out. So that's the first parable. Second one here, verse 20. Again, he told him, here's parable number two. What can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Now, leaven, obviously, that's going to make the flour rise. So you, mount, um, you take this small amount of leaven, and you mix it in your dough, and all of a sudden this bread, it rises up. So even a small amount of leaven mixed into 50 pounds of dough can still make a ton of bread. And it, it, it spreads. And what God is saying here, and what the Lord's telling us, is the kingdom of God, it grows through the tree, it grows outward. Obviously, it's growing out throughout the world and it's growing up with the tree. The kingdom of God here with the leaven, the story, is it's growing inward. It grows into the dough and it goes through it. So what he's saying here is the kingdom of God, meaning the gospel. This is why we do missions. This is why we support Lottie Moon. This is why we're diligent in everything we do here in a church. It's communicating the gospel. You know, we had... <clears throat> Last Sunday night, um, we ran out candy. Uh, we were ill-prepared. I thought we, um, you know, my, uh, I was the trunk or true. I met my quota of 50 trunks right on the dot. I hit right at 50. And um, so I got paid the next week if I met my quota. So, uh, but what happened was we had the candy refill. Well, trick-or-treating was supposed to start at 5. 4.45, they were already going in the cars. I mean, they were, uh, the line had already started at 4.45. Well, we were in the reserves already at 5.10, 5.15, because once that line starts, I mean, we're, we had bought $300, the church had, on top of the donations, gone. By 5.25, 5.25, we had no reserves left. Like, people already started running candy. I see some of you shaking your heads because y'all were some of the folks. You said, Damn, I wasn't prepared for this. Once that line started, David Dale got church credit card, went across the street here at Kroger and bought $500 worth of candy at Kroger. He got back at 6 o'clock. By 6.10, we were out of candy. I mean, we spent $800. I mean, so we weren't prepared candy-wise for the number of uh, amount of children we were, giving out, we were giving out to. I share that because... <clears throat> That event, yes, it was a massive candy giveaway, but I want to tell you all something, a testimony of what happened. I had one mother come up to me, and uh, one of our trunks was the VBS trunk, because we had the Gideons there, we had a gospel track trunk, we had a VBS, we had a Juana trunk, we had just, I mean, there were, um, just, we, uh, one was just inviting folks to church, little things uh, to invite. Well, the VBS trunk, one mother came up and says, hey, I got your VBS card. You know, this is great. I'm going to save the date in June because it was basically save the date, and we're going to make sure we bring our children. The purpose of a type of event with that is you have all sorts of folks that are going to be passing through, and it's a first-touch ministry. Many of those people and those families that came, they don't go to church. Those children don't go to church. And, but we know they are not, yes, we gave away a ton of candy. Yes, we spent a lot of money on candy. But those children received gospel tracts. They received Bibles. They received invites to Broadway. The seeds were planted so that those 
parents, when they got home, they going through their children's candy, and they're seeing information about the gospel as well as about invitations to our church. And I know of at least one that said they're coming because they received the VBS invite. That is an example very similar here. You take something such as a crazy fall festival candy giveaway extravaganza, and truly was last Sunday, and you see how something as small as a mustard seed, that little invite, you never know how it can go a long way. These IMB missionaries, these young ladies give themselves to the Lord and say, I'm willing to give two years to go to Brazil. And they're leading people to Christ. That is what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God will advance. God words, it, remember, it does not return void. If you're out there sowing the seed, and there's a million and one different ways to sow seeds, and we practice them here, the great thing is the gospel is going to return. I promise. I've seen it. You've seen it. We, we see it all the time. All right, move along in your Bibles here. Look at this narrow door passage. Verse 22 through 30. Look what Jesus says here. Then he went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? There's a common question. Lord, who's, who's going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say to him, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out, they will come from east and west, from north and south, to share in the banquet. You know what that means. The banquet's heaven. The banquet's the kingdom of God. Meaning, there aren't just going to be Americans all across Brazil, Asia, Europe, people from all over the world are going to come share in God's kingdom. That's the, he's, he's telling a picture. This is the great thing about the gospel. It spreads. And you do not know how it's, how it's going to work. <clears throat> but the God is working in folks' life. And they're coming. They're going to share in the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this. Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Now, what we see here is this narrow door. Jesus also spoke about this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. We don't need to turn there, but in a little bit, we're going to turn to, um, in fact, go ahead and turn in your Bibles here to um, Romans chapter 11, verse 25 through 27. And we're, we're going to reference this here in a minute. But this, while you're turning there, I want to explain. The narrow door is faith in Jesus Christ. What that means is, even though there's a lot of people out there, and there's a lot of invites, only people who come through this narrow door. He says, there's these folks who are going to be standing on the outside, and they're going to knock and knock. And they're going to say, Lord, open up. Like, I want in. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Like, who, who are you? Where are you from? Now, what Jesus is saying here, there's going to be people who were going to say, well, we were in your presence, we ate, we drank, we were in the streets with you, like, man, you know me, like, I've got your business card, like, we're buds. And God's going to look at them and go, no, I do not know you. So what is he talking about? Y'all, he's painting this picture of these people knocking on the door, and they're, gonna, they're expecting to be at the banquet. Remember, we're talking about heaven. The banquet's heaven here. They're expecting to be in heaven with the Lord, and the door got shut, and it's locked, and we can't get in, and the owner's standing there saying, I don't know who you are or where you're from. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, remember, we have a Jewish audience. Many Jew, And remember, he went on, we won't reread it here, but he talked about how 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, they're already going to be inside. Why are they inside and I'm not inside? What Jesus is saying here is the Jewish people during Jesus' day and then from now on out, they were saved in the Old Testament by being Jewish. If they could trace their lineage to Abraham, that would be one of the, then from really one of the 12 tribes of Israel, saying, I'm a devout Jew. And if they were righteous, meaning if they lived by the law, that's Old Testament salvation. God declared people who were righteous, if you held to your Ten Commandments and you were Jewish, you were declared righteous by the Lord. That's how folks were saved. Well, now we're in the New Testament. The New Testament is through Jesus. He's the door. And what he's saying is there's going to be these folks. They're going to be pounding on the door saying, I'm from the tribe of Judah. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Abraham's my father and Moses. And this owner of the house is going to look at them and saying, I don't know who you are or where you're from. And they're going to say, where I'm from? I'm from Judah's tribe. I'm an Israelite. What do you mean I don't know where I'm from? I'm from Bethlehem. And they're going to shut the door and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying here, the way that folks are going to be saved has changed. The Old Testament, they're saved because they're Jewish. The New Testament, and including today, folks are saved not because they're Jewish, they're saved because of Jesus. I never knew you. That's what God will say. So the folks who are saved are those that know God. How do you know God? You know God through Jesus. This is why at church, and why in Sunday school, and why when you study your Bible, you teach and should have a personal relationship, a fellowship with the Lord Jesus. That's what it means to know God. You know God through His Word. You know God through your prayer life. You know God through a daily discipline of knowing Him. If you know someone, you talk to them. There's a relationship. We are saved through a relationship with Christ. Now, Sherry and I are married. We've been married almost 15 years. 14 years. 14 or 15 years we've been married. Now, what if I went next week and bought a house? I got Phil Sally here to uh, sell me a house, and I went in this neighborhood and said, I'm going to be married to Sherry, but I'm going to live over there. Because I don't want, you know, we need more space. I love her to death. I'm completely committed. And I love my spouse, but I'm going to live in this house. She's going to live in this house. And we'll live happily ever after. Not going to get divorced. We're going to love each other. Never speak negative about each other. People would think that would be crazy. What married people don't even live in the same house together? But that is what it's like when you claim you love the Lord, yet you do not talk to Him, you do not go to worship Him, you do not read your Bible about Him, you do not tell other people about Him. You're basically saying, the Lord is the most important person in my life, yet your actions are showing a complete opposite. How could I live in that house right there that Phyllis Sally sold to me, and I claim, I love Sherry Osmond, she's the greatest wife ever. We just, I'm busy and there's other things I've got to do, but I love her, and we just keep her over there. I'm telling you, that is what Christians today do to the Lord. They're claiming they have a relationship with the man, but they don't. Jesus is saying those people who stand and knock at the judgment say, why am I not coming in? He's saying, you're not saved. I never knew you. Who are you? Where are you from? Now, Hopefully you turned in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there because something interesting, and remember, these are Jewish folks that are going to claim they're going to be saved by their heritage. One of the neat things about the Bible, and I need to do a Wednesday night study on this, there will come a time during the tribulation where there will be a turning from the Jewish people to the Lord. And it's revealed here in really interesting Bible verses. You don't hear this uh, taught or preached. It's going to be a Jewish revival coming. It's in Romans 11, 25. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible. I want to read this because there will come a time 
we live in what we call, the Bible describes, the time of the Gentiles. Meaning, we're in this time, most of us here, if we aren't Jewish, we're a Gentile. Meaning, all these Gentiles are getting saved. And, but there's been a hardening of the Jewish. <clears throat> if you were to go to Israel today, and you go witness the Jewish people in the street, they say that's one of the most hard, that's one of the most challenging areas to witness to. There's a religious hardness in Jewish people's hearts. Because to them, they are from the tribe of, or the 12 tribes of Israel, Moses and Abraham's their father. So they would just, um, you know, they're, they're in heaven. They're, they're the chosen nation. But look what's going to happen here in Romans eleven twenty five. The Bible says here, and I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. So there's a mystery it's described as. Brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. That partial hardening exists today. That's this hardening. Right now, a lot of Jewish folks, their hearts are hard to the gospel. What that means is Jewish people today, you go ask and witness somebody and say, do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Most of them will say no. In fact, nearly all of them will say no. I have never led a Jewish person to the Lord. They are some of the most difficult people to share the gospel with. You talk to an Israeli, they, <clears throat> they, they know what they believe. They're rock solid. They believe in their belief, and they reject Jesus as the Messiah. That's because the Bible says here there has been a partial hardening of their hearts until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? That's 2018. That's us. God has allowed, during this period, from the Bible here, when Jesus showed up, for us, this narrow door for us to come in. And I want to tell you why he did that, would do that. If Jesus only were to die for Jewish folks, all of humanity outside of Judaism would die and go to hell. This partial hardening until the, the fullness of the Gentiles, which is period now, God allowed that so we can be saved. So that's our period we actually live in. Verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That phrase in verse 26, this way all Israel will be saved. There will come a time where there will be a great revival for Israel. Now, we see the word all Israel. Does that mean every single Jewish person to ever live? <clears throat> Not necessarily, but with this time, I believe this is going to happen during our tribulation, there will be a turning. God will open up the hearts of Jewish folks, and they will receive Jesus as the Messiah. There will be a great revival among the Jews. Jerusalem will turn to the Lord. This is, we see this also in Revelation. It's also referenced in Acts chapter 3 of this partial hardening, and then ultimately for Jewish people to come to the Lord. So what happens here is during this period of the fullness of Gentiles, that is when we are coming into the kingdom of God. But in the end times, God will open up the hearts of the Jewish folks and they will be saved, those who are alive, and they will also turn towards Christ. And if you want to read more about this, it's in, we don't have time to turn there. It's in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. What we see here tonight is we as Christians, we know the door is locked and shut. Only those who have Christ in their life are going to be saved. There is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And the real question for us, it, this should motivate us to missions and evangelism. All of us here know folks who do not know the Lord. They are spiritually dead. Sherry and I have talked about folks in our life we've been praying for. that just they, they don't know Jesus. And we need to be working opportunities that we can uh, witness to them. If you have, uh, go, back in, uh, look at, go back in your Bibles here, Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 28. 
This is what, this is what it's like when someone dies without Christ. Verse 28, it says here, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know why? Listen, how sad is it if you sit here in a pew every Sunday and hear some preacher preach Jesus, 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 Bible, Bible, Bible. You hear this stuff on the radio. You read about it in your Bible. You see it on TV. And you die and go to hell. You will be angry with yourself. Some of you need to rededicate your life to Christ. You need to say, God, I want a relationship with you. I have a relationship with every and everything else out in the world. But God, do I put you first? And that's what it means, weeping now. She's, you're just angry at yourself. There'll be no one else you can blame but you. And it says here, these people, at the very latter part of verse 28, but you yourselves will be thrown out. When someone goes to hell, they're thrown into hell. Nobody would joyfully walk there or want to go there. God throws them into hell because he does not know them. And there's, a, there's an anger with them. Hell is a reality. Hell should be motivating us to tell the good, good news with other people. Listen, you go on the streets today, right here in Lexington, if you start telling people about hell, they laugh at you. It's, we live in the days of Nineveh. 120,000 people. They're just do, they don't even know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know right and wrong. But do you know those folks repented at Jonah's preaching? Now, when Jeremiah went, they didn't repent. Sometimes God opens their hearts. Other times they don't. Our mission is to be faithful to the call. Keep going in your Bible here. Verse 31. This is about a man named Herod Antipas. I want to tell you about the Herods before. There's two Herods in the New Testament. Herod the Great is the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. The wise men showed up. He was alerted to that there was a new Messiah born in Bethlehem. He became angry and secretly said, let me know where uh, this new baby's born. and I need to go worship him too. He wasn't going to worship him. He was going to kill him. That's Herod the Great. Then also, his son is called Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, is the, um, he killed, he had John the Baptist killed, beheaded, cut off his head. He also was the one that wanted to see Jesus do some tricks when he was on trial, and Jesus wouldn't even open his mouth. And Jesus is probably thinking, why would I do this? Because you killed John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all. You beheaded him. Well, here, here uh, word gets to Jesus here about, um, about Herod Antipas. This is in Luke 13, verse 31. It says, at that time some Pharisees came and told him, go get out of here, Herod wants to kill you. You know, if, if someone comes and alerts you that someone wants to kill you, this is probably not how you would respond. Unless you're the son of God, you can respond this way. He said to them, go and tell that fox. That's an interesting way to describe him. Probably what that meant is fox probably meant he's clever, he's shrewd, he's crafty, which he was. Here's a smart guy. Go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'll complete my work. Now, there's, there's irony in that statement. Herod can't do that. You go and tell somebody, you know what, <clears throat> I want to kill you. I understand you want to kill me, but I need to heal a few more people today and tomorrow. Now, on the third day, I'll be done healing folks and making sure they're okay. While you have a gun pointed at my, well, they didn't have guns back then. While you have a bow and arrow pointed at me, do you see how Jesus is saying, "Herod, I'm not scared of you. I'm the author of life. I'm here. You're wanting to kill me, and I'm going around healing people." And that's essentially what he's saying. Verse 33. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. See, Jesus was outside of Jerusalem there, so he knew and he did. He, he died in Jerusalem right outside the city gates. So he's saying, let me go ahead and heal the folks that need to be healed, and I'll get to the city so I can die for you, Herod. And that's also he's speaking of his coming death. He's marching towards that. Last section we're going to see here, verse 34. Jesus, 
is saddened over Jerusalem. Jerusalem there is uh, the capital of Israel. It's where the place of religious worship. And he also sat here because they do not accept the message of the narrow door, which is the Messiah. Verse 34, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing, meaning you rejected the Messiah. It's all, all through the Old Testament that y'all love. You do not see him. See, your house is abandoned to you. I tell you, you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's the second coming there. So understand, that time still has not come. That's a reference to the second coming of Christ. They rejected him the first. The second one, they will be saying, The Jewish folks in Jerusalem, blessed is he who comes, because on that day we will know that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 35, last verse we're going to see here. Look at this. See, your house is abandoned to you. The house of Israel was their foundation for worship there in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, you don't even realize it, but your house is empty. God's not there. The prophets aren't there. There's no one home anymore. They're gone. And you don't even realize it. What he's saying to them, I don't want y'all to miss this. This is an evangelistic sermon out of this one. You have become spiritually dead, spiritually empty, and you don't even know it. Literally, it's gone right inside your house. Your house that you think everyone is safe and saved and going to heaven. In fact, everyone's lost. There's probably people in our community who are members of Baptist churches, fine Baptist churches here in Lexington. They have college students, teenagers, and little children. And mom and dad grew up in church. They're probably on the roll somewhere. But they haven't been to church in years. They're not raising their family in the Lord. Their children aren't downstairs in Awana. They're not in youth group with Zach. They're not at Emmanuel or at Porter or at the other great churches here in our city learning about the Lord. They're at home playing video games and watching Netflix and doing whatever else Hollywood's teaching them to do. And mom and dad are thinking, you know, we can pay our bills. Everything's great. The money's rolling in. The economy's wonderful. Our children look good in pictures. They look great on Instagram. And Jesus looks at that family and says, Parents, your house is abandoned. The whole house is going to hell. No one here loves the Lord. You have ruined it as raising your family in the Lord. You should not be teaching your children this. You should be teaching them this. That's what he's telling the folks. Your house is empty. You think it looks great, but it's in a pitiful state. All Jesus cares about is whether or not we have a relationship with him. People are going to be pounding on this door in verse 25, once the homeowner, who's the homeowner? It's God. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and you're going to knock and you're saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us like you know us. This is a picture. All that matters is Jesus. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you should be making every single effort to have your kids and grandkids in church and great-grandkids and everybody else you have influence. You have to pay, I know somebody, listen to this, I know somebody pays money their children go to church. Give them $5 if they go to church. Don't be, hey, I, hey I'd rather you give them $5 to go to church than $5 to play a video game. I mean, goodness, if they're going to, if they're going to pay them, at least get them to get them learn the Bible out of it. They'll get gospel seeds planted. If all that matters is Jesus, and it is, we should be doing everything to point folks to Jesus. 
There are abandoned homes all around us. All right, pull out your sermon notes here. I'm going to quickly go through these. Here they have five locks on every narrow door. They don't have our invitation. Number one, the gospel is all about Christ, no one else. Did y'all know that? Jesus is all that matters, no one else. We should be pointing people in every opportunity, every sphere of influence you have, every event we do at this church, no matter what you do, you're putting Jesus in that event. Number two, most people will not be saved. You say, how can you back that up? I put a Bible verse there. You can look it up for yourself, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Folks are going to knock, and Jesus is going to say, I don't even know who you are. Where are you from? Number three, the sinfulness of our world makes it difficult to be saved. This is a reality. It is hard for folks. Going back to this technology shift, folks are glued to their phones and their tablets and their computers. And if the church, if their friends don't communicate with them even through that, you can't even talk to them about it. I mean, it's a complete, this is what that, that's what it means. There's a reforma- a digital reformation today. It's difficult to get the gospel out there. But I want to tell you, the best way is still one-on-one, face-to-face conversation. It's one lost person who got saved telling another lost person how to be saved. That's it. And how to be saved, Jesus. Number four, those who profess Christ yet have returned to their old ways are not saved. That's what it means that your house is abandoned. You thought everything was great in your home, but your house is empty. means it's spiritually dead. Salvation is turning away from sin into Christ. Not for turning to Christ for three months, not rededicating your life for a week or two, but you're, when you sign up to be a Christian, when you sign your dot name on the dotted line on the blood of Christ and saying, I'm ready to follow Christ, you did that for eternity. Nobody asks more of you than Jesus does. He demands everything. He is involved in every area of your life. Number five, hell is a literal place for those who reject the gospel. It is. It's the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This message here, the five locks on every narrow door, it should propel us to tell other people about Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray tonight that you have spoken to us and encouraged us and warned us about the danger of an abandoned house. There's a lot of homes out there that think they're fine when in fact they're spiritually empty. Lord, you wept. You wept over Jerusalem because the folks thought they were secure when in fact they were dead, spiritually dead. God, I pray tonight as we have our invitation and you move in our hearts and you lead us to respond, and we make a decision to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our hymn of invitation. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. As always, I'll be waiting down front for you to respond. Miss Gail's going to lead us in our song. 223. What can wash away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Come stand up here with me real quick. God's certainly been moving. I want to introduce you. We have an exciting decision tonight. This is Miss Nancy Lentz. Nancy is coming this evening and transferring her membership to Broadway Baptist Church. Now, she's a member. She moved here about three weeks ago, right? Three weeks, three weeks ago from, it's called, it's called Elliott City, Ellicott City. City, Maryland. Who knows where Ellicott City, Maryland is? I just found it. It's south of Baltimore. That's where it's at. She's a member there at Beth, a Southern Baptist Church called Bethel Baptist Church. So she's excited about coming here. I want to tell you some more about her. She's a member of Mike Davis' Sunday school class. She also, what's the name of the place you work at? You were telling uh, me. It's a long name. Uh, Bluegrass Care Navigators. Bluegrass Care Navigators. Miss Sandy Gowdy and Miss Gail Ott also work there too. And this, this, this reconfirms also about why we're in the digital revolution. She went online church shopping and she found our church website and was reading about our church. See, that just, that's how people find churches. They find it. Do you know folks visit a church online first before they visit in person? So, um, and she comes here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, very involved, our Wednesday night dinner. So if you are excited for Nancy, for transferring her membership and joining Broadway Baptist Church, will you join me saying amen? Amen. amen. It's certainly exciting. All right, I'm going to invite everyone to stand up, and we always have a receiving line. So any time, let me tell you, any time someone makes a decision, you need to come through the line and congratulate them and let them know. So we'll have our receiving line. Sherry, you can come up here and stand with Miss Nancy, and y'all come through and congratulate Nancy on her decision. What do you want me to do? <laughs> oh, a closing song? Okay. <laughs> Let's do the chorus of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon 